to try so like we're just talking and we're not thinking about um an audience so it's just like a conversation between two people well three and two cats (laughs) the third person is not really talking yet more just moving just squiggling okay for the records if you're listening (laughs) post-apocalypse no it's gotta start positive take a break from if you want a good apocalypse uh apocalypse apocalypse humor the uh new kids in the hall season the day foley sketch did we talk about that one brand new key check it out (laughs) we'll wait um pause the podcast go watch the brand new key (laughs) sketch from the new kids in the hall season then come back well i don't know about john but i'm actually feeling pretty good i do feel good (laughs) it's like whenever i bring up the apocalypse you're like why are you just don't be dark or stop harshing my vibe why is it harsh i enjoy talking about it (laughs) i enjoy i enjoy uh thinking about it (laughs) um but yeah what is it it's july 9th or 10th summer vacation for me has what's the date oh it's gotta be the 9th it's the 9th okay it's the 9th july 9th 2022 Mm -hmm. okay we're at home yeah where we usually are where we usually are yeah in our living room Uh uh-huh beautiful lord roberts winnipeg (laughs) manitoba canada earth oh wait north america western (laughs) hemisphere earth solar system yeah that's the place the usual bat place but i don't know that we have a bad time though in case you're an alien from the future Mm. (laughs) an alien and you need and you're and you're doing a archaeological research on extinct human uh records or whatever you may want to find a different podcast (laughs) it's all going to be all all they're going to have is podcasts they're just going to be sifting through the millions and millions just the pyramid of podcasts oh no well it's some some alien some future alien archaeologist drone is going to be assigned to listen through all of ours like wally but for podcasts yeah no some sort of like uh uh archaeology master's student or something like that (laughs) that's unfortunate like Um, on time team that sounds worse than microfilm which makes me uh gives me motion sickness looking at (laughs) you oh yeah you do have some experience with that yeah you were an archivist yes in a past life yeah i don't think any i don't think that's come up yet yeah so i do have some experience with sifting through uh arcane records that are mostly boring so I can relate. Anything fun? Uh, yeah, there's lots of fun stuff, but that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. Um, hey, we got time, and this is a podcast. Well, it's the start of summer vacation. Okay, talk about summer vacation instead. <laughs> well, because I'm a teacher, I'm very lucky um, that I have July and August off, and especially lucky this year, um, being so darn pregnant. Um, it's I'm I'm at just over seven months now. I have uh, colleagues who are also pregnant who are working much closer to their due date, and I really don't know how they did it. Uh, by about seven, yeah, before even this point, I was already kind of over being at work while pregnant. Uh, I was getting tough <laughs> to get through those six or seven or more hour days uh, with no naps or no breaks to even lay down. Um, walking on the concrete floors all day so i'm feeling yeah extremely lucky to be off work and now just kind of rolling at my own pace able to kind of stop and start and uh yeah just kind of like lay down when i need to nap when i need to snack when i need to it's also getting tougher to snack kind of at the end um especially i was diagnosed with uh gestational diabetes and that hasn't really been a big deal but i did have to sort of shift my diet and i was you know when i'm working i don't have as much time to meal prep john will often prep me food, but just making the shift to a diabetic-friendly diet kind of in June, the busiest time at school, uh, was a little bit tougher. I found myself just running out of snacks that I could eat <laughs> at school. Um, and How diabetic are you? 
No, I, I don't know if there's like degrees. Um, gestational is more akin to like type two diabetes. Um, that's usually they tell you to look at a type two diet. So, is it common for pregnant ladies? Uh, relatively, yeah. Like, um, there are certain risk factors going in that I don't necessarily have. Um, but it's basically your placenta is just getting over-enthusiastic about its job. Um, and it is blocking your body from creating, um, more insulin. Like it's your body is trying to stockpile blood sugar and just getting a little too excited about that part of its job. Uh, so when you're pregnant, your body slows down your digestion, um, which can lead to some problems too. Um, everything kind of moves a little bit slower because your body's trying to extract as much as it can from what you're taking in so that you have extra to give to the baby. Um, and your body will always prioritize the baby over you. Uh, so if you don't have enough of something, um, the, the, but your body will take it from you to give it to the baby um, first. So yeah, it's just basically an overenthusiastic placenta. You're not producing as much insulin as you should be. And so uh, you tend to spike more easily uh, if you are eating stuff with a high sugar content or high um, like processed carb content that breaks down into sugars really quickly. So, yeah, that can um, that can lead to complications. But uh, I was I don't know I was eating relatively healthy and wasn't like I didn't have a super sweet tooth. Like I kind of had to stop eating a lot of stuff because of my gallbladder, anyways. So, um, yep. So yeah, it's it's not really a big deal for me. Um, I guess I don't have <laughs> um, the diabetes that bad because I already had altered my diet. Um, so it's mostly just, I have to monitor my blood sugar, uh, switch from like white bread to whole wheat, uh, eat a lot of fruit and vegetable and protein. It's pretty easy to do in the summer. I think if it was winter, it would be harder to not crave like heavy carbs, um, a lot. And it does make snacking a little more, I have to be a little more mindful. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, the baby seems fine. Um, it's mostly if you if you have gestational and your blood is high all the time, um, it can make the baby bigger, um, and it can cause like more um, more likelihood that you or the baby will develop diabetes after the pregnancy if you don't keep a lid on it. How does it make the baby bigger? Um, it's, they absorb more sugar. I guess. I guess so. That's what I'm guessing. They put on it's sugar just, weight. It's just throwing womb. more, yeah, it's just throwing more sugar into your system, um, more available sugar. So I, I don't know, but yeah, I would guess that's how. But it, yeah, it can make your baby bigger, which can make birth more difficult, more likely to need a cesarean um, if your baby is is getting sort of ahead of itself weight-wise. So how pregnant are you right now? Uh, it'll be, I'm 31 weeks, so. Uh, Out of got how many? 40. 40, okay. Mm -hmm. So, almost there. How many months is that? Just over seven. Okay. Yeah. So, this is, I'm in the eighth month. You are, I can confirm, folks, <laughs> uh, Jill is looking very roly and poly when she said <laughs> rolling around <laughs> earlier. It's true. She has a lot of inertia. It takes her a long time to uh, get started and a long time to slow down, <laughs> kind of like a freight train or a bowling ball. <laughs> She's beautiful, though. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. It's nice. But uh, she's mostly in nesting mode, looking very Buddha. Yeah, very and, round. And uh, the belly is fun to rub. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get any uh, good luck from it, <laughs> but uh, it helps to bond with the... Uh, yeah, the with baby. the creature in there, which it's the very clear there it. is a, a creature in oh, there. Oh, yeah. There is a... She's moving. So there's something moving around. <laughs> uh, you can see your belly move. Yeah. She so. likes it when you when you rub, she kind of surfaces. Um, I think what she's doing, like she's head down. You can summon the you, baby. You, you can summon the baby if you rub 
Uh, she kind of like backs her her back and her butt up against my belly. Um, you could feel like the hard kind of bump come out. Um, kind of like if you uh, if you stroke a cat's back. Yeah. And they uh, put their butt in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the baby the baby likes the rubbing. It's it helps to bond. Um, and they'll they'll so do some little. So the baby can hear mm-hmm. things that are happening outside yeah. the womb right now. Mm-hmm. So they can hear us podcasting. Yeah. They can hear us talking about them. Yeah. They know the sound of your voice and my voice. Yeah. And if they heard anyone else on a regular basis, they'd know the sound of their voices. Yeah. As well. I'm very curious about like if she knows like Vlad's purr because he's quite often he'll he from the start of the Vlad pregnancy. Vlad is the cat. Vlad is the cat. Um, and he likes to come and lean against the belly and purr. So uh, I'm very curious about whether she'll she'll kind of recognize that. I as like well. that. Uh, I think it's good that you were pregnant while you were teaching in an elementary school, <laughs> so that they're already used to like the sound of chaos and cacophony and, oh, and yeah. children's voices and stuff. And so, like, it might not be as like uh, intense and intimidating an experience uh, getting like. <laughs> socialized and integrated into uh into uh communities of other children and and stuff i don't know i'm sure that she was feels, tough for me yeah i'm sure she Still feels is. like it's very quiet now after it might be a little too quiet yeah especially like her hearing because she's been pretty active right yeah her hearing has sort of fully developed as the end of school came on and in a middle school as you get into may and june the kids get increasingly louder uh we had assemblies where they were just incredibly loud um but she didn't she didn't really startle or anything i think during the day when i'm walking around work um from what i was reading like when you're walking that kind of back and forth um motion they tend to sleep during that time um and so i guess she wasn't too bothered um yeah, I, I never noticed her really startle or anything at work. The only time I've really, I've noticed her startled twice, because um, babies have a startle reflex, and you can feel it once they get their sort of hearing fully functional. Um, once when John let out a really loud snore in the middle of the night, and uh, he'd been around a campfire and was a little louder than usual, and the baby startled and woke me up. Why would the campfire have... Well, I guess I don't. Story. I don't know. Just I guess your lungs were just a little more whatever. I don't know why. It was just the you had a campfire and we're having a few beers, and so your snore was a little. Do I sharper. snore more loudly after? Yeah, a campfire. I think so. Yeah, after a night with the boys, uh, the snores are a little sharper and louder. I am asthmatic. Yes. So. Um. But uh, smoke, yeah. Normally, I mean, I wear earplugs and it doesn't bother me. Do I snore usually? Yeah, yeah, no, I I don't. (laughs) Anyone who knows you and is listening to this, (laughs) I'm a notorious snorer. Yeah, should record it and put it on the podcast sometime. I don't know about that, but anyways, just 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 one earth shaking, one particular, it was just like a really sharp, loud snore. The baby startled and woke me up because she moved so suddenly and so like, bruh. You both woke up. Yeah. You both startled. Yes. The baby startled and then startled me and I woke up. And then the other time we were watching Star Trek Generations and there was a phaser fight and the baby did not enjoy the loud phaser noises that were happening. We had to turn down the movie quite a bit. Because uh, every time Star Trek was... Generations too disturbing for fetuses. <laughs> too they didn't put noisy. that on like the uh, content warning at the no. beginning. Um, yeah, I guess it was just like the phaser. Was, she must have just been like she's. They're not awake a lot of the time. They're kind of like cats in that they sleep most of the time. Uh, but she just must have been awake. She's usually awake in the evening. She's usually more active. Oh. Well, that, just like me. It's, that's kind of like just how babies are. Um, but uh, what when they're in there, um, their sleep, the sleep inside has no bearing on what they're going to sleep like outside. Because once they get out, it's pretty chaotic for the first few months. Once they get out, they still sleep most of the time, right? Oh, 
No. But like what happens once they once they get out? <laughs> uh, how do they get out anyway? How do they get out? Well, we'll find out. Are you out. looking forward to it? No. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the part where the baby is out oh. and there's no longer a baby in there. I don't know. Um I'm I'm very interested to see how that feels. Uh one of my another colleague at work who had four kids um said that she really enjoyed being pregnant. Uh and and I don't know. I would say it's been a very like neutral experience for me. You're neutral about it. You don't feel one way or the other about being pregnant. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, I've had a pretty, I've had it. a pretty easy pregnancy compared to a lot of friends I've talked to. I would say, from like a partner's perspective, you've been uh, you've been a joy to work with <laughs> these last seven months. Yeah, I haven't really been like it's a pregnancy been. monster or anything too much. Not really. You're not lording it over anybody you're not too much of like a, a jab of the hut uh, <laughs> couch monster um the i mean apart from like the gestational diabetes thing which doesn't seem to have been like much of an issue yeah um like it seems like your pregnancy has been going yeah it's, very, been, it's been very like non-eventful yeah um probably the like just in the last like while as she's getting bigger there's some your your different stresses start to play on your body because your hips are widening um your joints are loosening up getting ready for birth um and so i've had like some sciatic pain and some shoulder pain i've mostly just had to like uh figure tinker with like the correct pillow formulation while sleeping like a pillow in between the legs to lift the pressure off the sciatic nerve, not sleeping with an extra pillow under my neck to keep that straight and to stop my shoulder from cramping in the middle of the night. So just kind of like figuring out how my body needs to be um, in this sort of new formulation, just because it gets it gets harder to shift in your sleep the way that you would normally want to like move your body to stop from like settling into a position uh, once you've got all this weight out front, you don't naturally roll around and you can't really sleep on your belly either. Um, but yeah, it's so, and I don't feel... And all your weight is definitely in the front. Yes. Like, all. looking at you front from the front or from the back, like, your profile looks pretty much the same. Yeah. Until you turn to the side and then it's like, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, there's something... <laughs> There's, there's a whole lot of something. There's a whole lot of something going on there. Yeah. And it's just in the front. Yeah. And it's not like the baby is not oversized. She's maybe like, she, she's right on track for weight, I think, in size. She's like, I don't know, I'm like half a week. It's They measure like where your uterus is, basically. Um, where so, is your uterus, by the way? Uh, It's up above my belly button, that's for sure. I was not expecting you to say that. It's like up here. Okay. Yeah, it's starting to like push all the organs out of the way. Yeah. Out of the way organs. It's all up, uh, in, uterus it's all up in my business now. Um, but yeah. I, so do you know where the rest of your organs are then? No. Okay. I don't really know. <laughs> I know where my gallbladder is. That's about it. <laughs> I can feel that. Um, but I like, I haven't like loved being pregnant the way that some people say they're like i loved being pregnant i was like uh i'm kind of looking forward to just having my body to myself um <laughs> <laughs> even though i will be breastfeeding like all day every day um you mean like you're looking forward to not having like a literal person just, yeah uh, growing inside yeah you? like when i go to the bathroom and i i I understand you want for any no parents one to listening. Be there when you're you like to have some privacy in the bathroom. Yeah. Like now it's just like no matter where you're at, there's like you could feel like somebody tapping at you from the inside. And I understand that to that's fair, like children are going yeah. to bother you in the bathroom for the like, you know, the next five years. You can't even have privacy in the bathroom <laughs> now because Vlad is always trying to get in. That's true. So that's true. Yeah. The child and the cat training. will simply join forces uh, at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, um, and like, you know, you can't twist in the same way you normally would. Um, and I mean, all that will depend how the birth goes and how you heal up, right? Whether or not 
you have a C-section, whether or not you tear, all that fun stuff. Oh, John's making a very upset face at me saying that. Uh, but it sometimes do be like that. And it could take a really long time to heal um, up from that stuff. Even if it all goes well, it takes a while for everything to kind of go back where it was. I'm not opposed to knowing these things. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I'm a modern man. <laughs> I think it's one of the things that like uh, men have just been completely like shielded from for I don't know what uh, forever the dawn of time is uh, knowing like exactly what the birthing process is like especially like uh, and physically what the physical like ordeal and suffering is for a woman yeah uh, like I don't especially uh, wish to be uh, present <laughs> let's just say that like it doesn't seem. Uh, and I yet, mean, and yet, you will be. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll report back. We'll give you all the gory details. Ooh, we'll see how I feel about the gory details. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, <laughs> women don't, like, I mean, obviously, I'm not present. I'm not in, like, the inner circle of, like, the womanhood or whatever. I don't get invited to those parties. <laughs> but, like, it's not really, you don't, they don't talk about it. Maybe well, they do to, to daughters, but there's not really... I don't know, like a lot of the traditional like uh, gaggle of women congregating in the <laughs> kitchen and whatever and just swapping stories and that whole like uh, the uh, the whole like uh, feminine knowledge yeah. cord tra transmission from back to the dawn of well, time that and, I mean, people like to think about doesn't really, it doesn't exist so much. No, anymore. but it, it's also something that um, I think that... Um, even now a lot of women have trouble talking about because birth can be really traumatic for yeah, a lot of women. Exactly. Um, but knowing how traumatic uh, it, birth is, like the, um, they don't always have an avenue to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And then you see, I don't know, women, women having trouble rebounding yeah. after birth, like a lot yeah. of times and you say like, well, what, what happened? Yeah. It's like, you don't know until it's like, until someone tells you, yeah <laughs> basically because it's for uh for a man or whatever yeah. you don't infer that you're not you ever gonna know un until someone tells you yeah it's like a suddenly oh yeah postpartum depression makes a lot more sense uh like uh mothers not really wanting to like uh attach to their children or whatever makes a lot more sense mm -hmm. uh, a whole whack of things makes a lot more yeah, sense. there's a lot of hormones in play too that um like when you're breastfeeding, there are homo hormones your body protects, uh, produces to protect you from getting pregnant again too soon. Um, like there are ways that your body is um, really, even after giving birth, your body is still very much bent towards the child, um, especially for the first like three to six months before the baby is weaned. Um, when you are if you're able to breastfeed, not everyone is, but if you're able to breastfeed, your body is still completely wrapped um, around keeping the baby alive. And like, that's its priority is like making sure you're like creating milk and that you can hear the baby, like your hearing changes, your hormones are all directed towards what yeah. you're doing. If you're a partner of like someone who's given birth, you know, and you're like, I'm uh or whatever like anecdotally like it could like you have men being paranoid or like afraid that like it could completely change the nature of your the relationship with your partner that's like after the baby it's never the same you know and it's like and for a man on the outside looking in not knowing uh really like sort of the nitty-gritty of the details of all this stuff like you're not gonna interpret the signs like correctly Especially if you have like a partner who also was maybe not prepared for a lot of the stuff and is like traumatized yeah. by it or whatever. And then, you know, not finding much support from the, from the male side of the partnership, um, just being sort of like, just like maybe a little like confused mm -hmm. or annoyed. It's like, what, what did I do? It's not, you know, it's not the male partner's fault that you're, uh, that you're, that your partner who is now a mother or whatever is like different, yeah. you know? Uh, but you know, if you don't have, if you don't have that communication between yeah. you and you, and if you don't have like the education and the knowledge 
no one told you that all these things well, were going to su- happen. A circle of support too, Ex- and a large circle of support. Exactly, yeah. where like it's you're just the two of you locked in a house, basically. Yeah, and this new child and like this, you know, this incredibly traumatic event happened. Birth is traumatic. Yeah, it's one of the three big, uh, the three biggies yeah. in life, or whatever, or two, <laughs> two. Well, there's life, birth, death, and then there's giving birth. <laughs> right there's the i guess right. that's the three so it's like if we have big community rituals around death and weddings i suppose but like not with giving birth so much well, not with like, recovering from not recovering not preparing or recovering yeah so much and you don't spend like um you don't spend the same amount of time in the hospital like it's kind of uh, birth in a lot of ways has gotten um, more understanding, like less institutionalized. But the one thing I have heard um, from older women is that, um, especially older women who had, you know, multiple children, was that it was always nice to be able, I guess it depends on the hospital you're staying in, but um, that they would stay in the hospital for like a couple of days or a week after giving birth. And they wouldn't be returning home to chores or other children right away. Um, and now... I would want to stay in the hospital as long as possible. Yeah, personally. I actually, I didn't realize that had shifted um, until, like, I got a bit older and I, I started having friends um, who were having babies. I realized or found out, like, just how short a time um, you usually spend if there's no major complications. Um, even if you, even if you have tearing or a cesarean, you're often home pretty quickly, um, after, and then you're going in for checkups. Like when my mom had a cesarean, um, and I was premature, they kept me for two weeks, but they wanted to keep her for only one week and transfer her to a different hospital. And she fought them on that. Um, but, uh, so she was in, in for two weeks with me, um, less so with my brother, but I think she was still in for a week with my brother because she had another cesarean. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, I, you know, I've anecdotally from from friends or other people, just the, they just send you home and you get home and you're like, wow, who let me bring this baby home? <laughs> like, what am I supposed now what? to do with it? Well, there's <laughs> a lot of dishes ah, in the sink. Yeah. Uh, and especially wow, looked at the state of this place, and then like your <sighs> partner or whatever is usually still working. Yes, or whatever, exactly. Is like, That's well, what I was about to say. Now you're alone with the baby. Yeah, uh, and maybe you don't. Maybe you yourself don't have like uh, parental leave, and yeah. it's like, well, now what? What I've got a couple days yeah. a week. It's crazy. Uh, it's pretty inhumane how we treat like pregnant people and like uh, new families in yeah. general or families. Whatever, we just don't treat people like human beings. Yeah. At all. So we're we're pretty lucky. I get to have these two months off. We can kind of get the house a little bit ready, uh, finish some work. Um, <laughs> I kind of. Brought... What do you want to do? What do you want to finish before the uh, kid shows up? Well, What's your number one thing? <laughs> I mean, what I... are you? What's stressing you out? The office, What's on your to-do list? which will be like the nursery room. Um, is the big one because I, I had to bring my entire classroom home this year since I was going on leave and then being moved out of my school, I couldn't really keep my stuff anywhere. So it all had to come home with me. So I've, I've been bringing it home gradually and, and storing it in other places, but there's just a certain amount of stuff that, uh, kind of had to stay there till the end. Um, and it's all sort of in boxes and bags on the floor of the office. So I've been working my way through those, sorting those out. But then there's also just sort of craft things in the office that I need to go through. Um, need to move furniture out so that baby furniture can be moved in. And then we have to fix the ceiling um, so that when the baby is able to see, they don't see a horrifying um, stain on the ceiling every night um because <laughs> uh we had some leaks which are fixed now but there's some um some damage to the the paint on the ceiling of the nursery so that needs to be fixed so just i think just getting like that room kind of organized and it's not i don't know 
it's not super stressing me out just because the first few months, the baby really is in the bassinet or with you. Like they're, they're just a little hungry nugget. Um, they're not crawling. They're not really moving that much. They're just pooping, sleeping, eating, repeat um, for the first little while. And uh, they're just putting on fat so that their brains can develop enough so that they can start branching out um, after that. So the first, you, you kind of have a little bit longer, but then you also have a baby that you're breastfeeding every hour, every two hours, whatever it is, changing 10 to 12 diapers a day, all that stuff. So the baby's really dictating your, your sleep and your life cycle um, at those times. So yeah, and also I think I just, I'd like to get in, um, like making a few more things before the baby comes, like doing some natural dyeing, maybe some sewing, um, just kind of doing that sort of stuff, uh, before, before it's B, the B day. The Do you B- have all the, all the baby gear? I have pretty much all the baby gear. Yeah. Um, I think we, we were gifted, uh, a cute little bassinet by my coworkers, which is very sweet of them. Um, we, my parents got us a, uh, paid for us to find a used, uh, car seat, car seat and stroller. So we have a baby transportation device, uh, from the hospital. Um, it's not like the humane society where they like give you a box to put your cat in. You kind of have to bring your own, uh, baby container to the hospital. That's what I was going to ask. Do we have like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Do we have the pet carrier for the baby? Well, I mean, we could bring our own. We have one for the cats. So. Um, but yeah, and uh, we've had lots of stuff um, gifted to us sort of secondhand from friends. We have a crib. We have swing. We have baby, uh, wearable baby carriers, um, lots of clothes, tons of clothes. Um, my mom found a breast pump, an electric one. So yeah, just kind of... I'm more just like now thinking about like I, I, I'm gonna get a baby suit. I'm gonna get one of those like uh, white painters suits, disposable painter suits <laughs> uh, that you good just, idea like, zip up. You could probably buy those in a pack. I'm gonna grab a. I'm gonna get a bunch of those, and I'm just gonna wear those for the first few months. Yeah, it's important to uh, wear stuff you are not super attached to. <laughs> <laughs> no more like fifty dollar band T shirts. <laughs> well, they, they better they better by. be pretty worn out um, or black, so that when the baby spits up on them, uh, milk can actually be pretty staining. Uh, so you you don't want to wear things that are yeah super precious to you. Of course, you usually you want to try to be mindful of getting that burp cloth. Um, over your shoulder first, but uh, it probably takes probably takes a little while to to develop that reflex and to make sure that it's always there um, after a feeding. But uh, yeah, I've got bottles. Um, hey, I think we've got lots of the doodads. There's probably like a few more sort of nursing uh, pieces that um, just kind of working on thrifting this summer, like some more nursing shirts, um, things that I don't care too much about that have the easy access pockets um and yeah i don't i don't think there's anything i think we've got like the big baby pieces um that we that we really need babies are pretty pretty low need um they spend most of their time on you or the floor for the first while they don't need too much fancy pants um equipment uh right off the bat um and then once they start crawling around, then you just have to worry about baby proofing your entire life, toddler proofing your entire life. But we'll see. I don't know. I was a I was a late walker. I was I was in I was a late talker. <laughs> when did you start like moving around on your own? I don't know. You'd have to ask my mom. Mm. I haven't. Uh, I have no recollection. I yeah. haven't been told. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah. So I think we're overall we're I don't know as ready as you can be. Nobody's ever ready ready for a baby well we'll see <laughs> we'll see um yeah but we're all strapped in um, ready for liftoff i think we're just looking forward to kind of enjoying um our last child-free summer uh together so getting some art in getting some camping in getting some gardening in keeping ourselves busy all the usual things yeah and 
I don't know. It's only been like a week since school ended. So my brain has started to rebound. It's getting there. I've read a couple of books, which is always very helpful to help unwind my brain. Okay, books. What's uh, what's on the pile? Well, I read um, Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Simard. Did they find it? She found it. Yeah. Good. Good to um, know. But that was a very good book. It's sort of a memoir. Uh, Suzanne Simard is a uh, tree scientist um, out in the University of British Columbia. She worked in the logging industry when she was younger. She's from British Columbia. Um, and so it's sort of her memoir of like growing up and her sort of professional path um, and her sort of conducting experiments and realizing that um, forests were in, uh, interconnected with mycorrhizal fungi and that the policy of clear cutting and spraying herbicide to kill competing trees and plants um, was doing more harm than good um, in in British Columbia and other places where um, forestry is a big industry. So she's, yeah, she had a lot of insight on that. She also, she had two kids um, and sort of in the recent past went through a round of fighting cancer. Um, so she talks about that as well. Um, so I just found it, it was very, yeah, just very interesting, just like a very gentle read, very interesting. Um, I already said interesting <laughs> twice. That's interesting. <laughs> um, I read a couple of novels. Uh, they've been okay. Nothing that's like, um, Matrix was probably the best one that I read recently, uh, a historical novel about a uh, medieval um, abbey run by women. Um, and that, I don't know, that was interesting. I recommend that. Get thee to a nunnery. Yep. And uh, now I'm reading a book that John read, uh, Richard Thompson's memoir, Bees Wing. And oh, it's Bees Wing. It's one word. I thought it was Bee Swing. Like Bee Swing? Bee Swing. No, there's, there's bees on here. It's the Bees Wing. Yeah, Bees Wing. It's one interesting the bee's wing <laughs> i read it as bee swing oh i think it's i don't know now i'm second guessing myself <laughs> i think it's bee's wing interesting i don't know <laughs> we don't it's, know the song a, it's a it's a song that he wrote yeah so we'll have, have to, to listen to the song the lyrics we don't see. we're not very familiar with uh, richard thompson's music oh, we're learning more i like to read books by i like to read musician pop musician biographies the old school ones. Yeah. Uh, especially if I'm not too familiar with their music as an excuse to check out some uh, some old stuff I, I might have missed in my uh, previous scourings. Yeah. I think especially... And this one's been very good. Richard Thompson's been very good. Yeah. I think um, especially books by these folks that went through the 60s and 70s where so much music was produced and so much hasn't necessarily survived in the mainstream and there's you you know every once in a while these albums that are really um really are lost classics sort of resurface it's been long enough that some yeah some of them the big ones basically like just a handful of like cross generations and are still familiar whatever like beetle stones kinks yeah beach boys uh a lot of the motown stuff i don't know so, has kind of made it through and seeped into is still around in the public consciousness basically like the stuff that's in uh commercials and movies and uh netflix shows or whatever then yeah. like kids encounter it but like stuff like richard thompson's music like fairport convention and what and whatnot you have to dig a little deeper it's not like a kid can is gonna hear like uh um like a richard thompson song in like the in a marvel movie or whatever whereas like you could hear like pink floyd anytime you turn around yeah you know and we kind of like um i think we we already had i want to see the bright lights i feel like we must have heard like a richard and linda thompson song on like university radio Probably. or something like that but you can i would credit my sister mandy for mm. being into this stuff way before yeah she's I was. a big fairport sandy denny sort of fan i the uh the british 
like electric folk tradition or any of the British folk tradition, like did not, it just bounced off my brain uh, every time I basically like encountered it. But Mandy got like, got hooked on it really, really early. And uh, I think the thing for me was like, oh, it's not rock enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This doesn't rock. Yeah. But uh, it, it does rock. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And it rocks hard. Yeah. Um, and it's like doing the same sort of like archival documentary sort of work that like Alan Lomax and Pete Seeger yeah. and, and and people like that would have been doing here in North America. I guess they're obviously Fairport and those guys, those folklorists, mm-hmm. folk musicologists were extremely young and uh, very influenced by Bob Dylan and the birds and that and the American folk revival, the electrified version. Yeah. Especially. Uh, but these were, but Richard Thompson and the Fairport crew were like teenagers. Yeah. In the mid to late sixties when they're encountering this stuff and basically like building up this repertoire and this new genre of music from scratch. It's a very small sort of like crew that that sort of are very interchangeable between a, a couple different bands and mm-hmm. singers and stuff. Uh, Richard Thompson being like one of them, the one that's maybe like the most familiar to, uh, I don't know, to younger people. Yeah, well, I don't some know. people will know Sandy Denny Sandy from Denny, of singing on Led Zeppelin. But these were like, the thing that struck me with the Richard Thompson book is like that they're kids. Yeah. Kind of just like starting starting something from scratch and then going back to like, very old sources, mm-hmm. like medieval sources, and finding songs. That yeah, they're really digging, digging them through. out. Yeah, like sometimes for the first time, and like performing them for a wider audience mm-hmm. for for the first time. Because um, like there obviously was like an English or a British folk music tradition, but it was it sort of like started dying out like post World War Two. Yeah, he kind of talks about how. Um, it was sort of regarded as like corny or old fashioned and, and that it wasn't cool. Like it, it sort was, of shifted yeah. um, like the English or like British culture had shifted towards America and like American, yeah. like folk tradition. And they're a little but, bit ashamed of their own. Yeah. And they like, the kids um, were in the sixties anyway. Yeah. And, and, um, but Richard Thompson and the people in Fairport and some of these people, like, they just never felt that the British musicians doing, trying to do, like, American roots and blues um, was, like, really authentic. Yeah. And I think it was, he mentions that when the band's first album came out, yeah. that was, like, a real big light bulb moment for them mm-hmm. where they thought for the first time, wait a minute, like, we can actually do this. Yeah. We can do a British version of the band. Yeah. Um, just play basically, like, um authentic music yeah authentically uh with like with soul and fe- and and feeling with, with some real like depth to it yeah and they had um they had more family connections like um a lot of them had uh like both Richard Thompson and Sandy Denny had a grandparent who spoke Scots Gaelic and and knew some of the old songs um and would sing them so they had sort of these like they did have authentic connections um, but it was sort of like a generation or two removed and they were sort of coming back to, and then, like you said, digging even deeper, like going to songbooks and, and, um, archives and places and, um, digging out ballads and, um, finding old, uh, old wax cylinders that had had people singing these old songs, um, and and the Lomaxes had been in England and Scotland collecting yeah, songs as well. So he does were, mention it in the book. Yeah, yeah, they're drawing from some of some of their like work in the British Isles and Ireland and places like that too. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's just a very like it's a very engaging book. Um, it's very. Um, I like that it is a little bit of like an outsider's perspective on yeah. the on the British pop scene in the mid to late sixties yeah. where like Richard Thompson and the, uh, and the electric folkies, they weren't the cool kids yeah. in town. They would go to the shows of the cool kids. They, yeah. you know, they'd go see Hendrix or the who or cream or whatever. And they'd sort of like be on the periphery. Maybe they'd be invited to the same party once in a while. Yeah. But 
but uh, Richard Thompson and some of the, his co uh, some of the, his cohorts were like a little like snobbish, even as like teenagers yeah. to be like these are old guys. The Beatles are like in their mid twenties or whatever. <laughs> like they're old. We don't need to listen to them. They're pat. They're they're past. We're doing like the real music now. Yeah, it re- uh, reminds me a lot of Dave Von Ronk's book. Yeah, it's very very Dave Van Ronk. Yeah. Um. So it sort of gives you like a bit of an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. and I think like I identified with that being like a musically active person throughout like when it just sort throughout of my life correlates. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um. But never, uh, never getting like access into like the inner circle of yeah. like the cool kids in the Winnipeg music scene or the art kids or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm here doing it, but nobody gives a shit. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Like I don't know the right people, and I don't know how to convince the right people to give a shit. Yeah, and like how Richard Thompson is talking about having kind of like the exact same experience. Except, like, he had enough of a cohort around them who were who yeah. was like-minded that they could be the a uh, little self-sustaining, uh, a little self-sustaining nucleus, basically. Yeah. Um. But and also like that, there uh, he acknowledges like they would go on these tours of uh, universities and colleges throughout the throughout the UK, uh, playing to very few people or nobody. Yeah. Uh, basically but they'd still out and go and do it because the universities had arts funds from the government uh so that they had they had this money to bring bands in uh and to to have basically like live music so there was a demand for to have bands so if you had a band in england at the time like you could basically like you wouldn't starve yeah it was a viable thing that you could do because like the money was just so uh abundant and if it wasn't for that that type of like uh those government that government funding for the arts that like a band like Fairport Convention either wouldn't exist or would have died like extremely quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, and just, I think it also kind of correlates to people like Dave Van Ronk or Richard Thompson, um, have experienced being humbled in their careers as well. And it just gives them a, you know, less, jerk tone uh to their reflections right like yeah, the chris exactly. france book or the graham nash book like some of those yeah those rock star biographies are extremely fun to read because they are pompous assholes and they don't let anyone no, edit them yeah who have no conception of how they look to other yeah to ordinary people like they think they're ordinary and cool like chris france does yeah. but he's like a blue blood asshole it took me a while like even uh i didn't even read the graham nash book you did that one is that one is good for just like <laughs> oblivious pomposity i and just no making idea shit what up. a jerk he was oh, oh man. my god oh uh, graham nash is an idiot yeah and he's a dumb guy like yeah to boot i'm a graham nash fan i love his music yeah, I know. wild tales and uh it took songs me a while for beginners to go back to incredible. listening to his music after like having you read he's out just such a dunce <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so like some people but those are those are fun just for that but well those like, are also like those are the people that don't allow um a co-writer or don't allow heavy editing to their their memoirs and then they're just garbage like if chris france had had an editor um that you know could actually corral him like that like it's a that might have been an interesting book We've, yeah i mean you should you could still read it i was hate reading it after like 30 pages <laughs> did we talk about it well, i think yeah, i, I think have ranted did, about it yeah. yeah it's chris france remain in love should be called like the review is like more songs about hotels and food. Yeah. Yeah. He's just literally writing about hotels and food. David Byrne didn't book a good hotel room on this tour tour and he's all pissed yeah. off. Etc. etc. for three hundred pages. For the Richard Thompson book, he openly acknowledges that he was like a dumb kid who thought he was trying to be cool from like modeling his personality after yeah. like French cinema. Yeah, there's a very but, good part where he talks about like um being a bad boyfriend because he'd watched too much French New Wave and thought that like being a moody jerk yeah. was what you did and he is <laughs> like I'm an artist. I'm yeah. a very insular, very moody, I'm dark and mysterious. Yeah, he's actually and taking he, some like, time to like reflect he's on like, himself. Yeah. Like in hindsight that 
must that wasn't a very good like uh choice yeah personality wise and development wise because <laughs> i must have just seemed like a pretentious asshole yeah uh, which i was yeah at the time uh which is like you know for young men or middle middle-aged men anyone to have like any sort of masculine type person be like self-reflective in that way yeah uh, is incredibly uh useful to be like down to earth and be ordinary and to demystify the whole like uh broody mysterious artist kind of thing which yeah. i really bought into when i was younger but that's complete bullshit yeah uh the point is to be an ordinary <laughs> person yeah to have fun to be able to communicate with people to be to socialize in a way that you know uh you're likable and you like to share what you do to share exactly to share what you do you don't have to be you know like precious about it Uh, there's no awards for squirreling away in obscurity no exactly like you can it's not fun (laughs) it's not fun it doesn't mean that you have to like commodify every piece of art that you make but sharing and and but you know communicating if you make others my philosophy on art has changed over the last 10 20 years by necessity because like i had to break myself out of my own shell that i thought i was i thought it was like a mysterious broody sort of like moody guy and that was like a good thing (laughs) but like uh it was an extremely bad thing and uh, (laughs) horrifically uh, mentally uh (laughs) i was horrifically mentally and spiritually stunted as a result and i'm trying to feel like i'm trying to play catch up uh with everybody else and that like you know you know, making art in your like little workshop that uh, is all f- fine and good, but like if it doesn't see the light of day, it dies, yeah. uh, and then you die with it. Uh, that's really like in a relationship that you can't get past. Yeah. The point of like art is to share it with people, the for people to experience it, and then to le- allow yourself to be experienced. Yeah. through it and experiencing other people like that is that's how you build relationships that's, that's how you build connections and communities yeah. with people teaching art has definitely um done that for me too right like just yeah sharing i have no interest in making art to sell but uh like sharing it and making it with other people like that's the best yeah i would say like probably just very shortly my like the highlight of like my like artistic experience over the last you know few years was just like honestly this spring just a couple months ago uh getting together with some old friends to learn and practice some old songs in like a in a garage rock band and the thing that like i realized wasn't like it wasn't the songs or doing we've performed them and it wasn't the performance or anything that was uh that was worthwhile about it the thing that made it that was worthwhile was like you had I had an excuse to get out of the house and meet other people that I had long standing long term relationships with and that we were working together to like create something that wouldn't have existed without the four of us yeah. together and to share and the conversations that come up, you know, in between the songs when you're practicing and, you know, the life stuff, talking about your life, talking about your loved ones, talking about, you know, things that are happening to you that maybe you're not sure of, uh, about getting advice or just like telling dumb jokes. Yeah. Um, that building, like building bonds between people, like that is like the art, the music, the band was just an excuse. Yeah. To, uh, to I don't know, was just an excuse to practice friendship, to practice uh, developing, like, caring for people. Yeah. And being cared for in return. And I think, like, that's what art, and that's beautiful, and that is what art is. Uh, even if you're a solitary artist, which is completely good and valid as well. If you're a painter, even, I don't know, if you're a musician in your basement, too. There's some things you can only do there are only there's some types of art you can only do alone. Yeah. Uh, but I think the thing is that that uh, once you've done it, you have to set it free. You just mm-hmm. you have to kick that, make that little like uh, model uh, paper boat or whatever, uh, kick it off from shore, let it float around. Yeah. And maybe it dissipates and dissolves, and your little paper boat sinks and into obscurity. But at least like you set it free, because like 
if you hang on to it, it dies. Yeah. And there's just no getting around it. That's one of the laws of the universe. Yeah. So, I'm kind of looking forward to, um, like, when the kid is older, too. Like, just um, doing art with kids is so fun that's like, probably the way their brains they do work. it like they don't have to they think just, about yeah, it. They, they don't have to have it. a philosophy of art like i just expounded yeah like teaching, you see how kids go through the world yeah just like teaching especially like the grade one twos and and doing art with them and watching them make art um yeah just so fun seeing the way that kids put things together in ways you don't expect or draw things from another perspective um and i've always found like i found once i started teaching um especially once i started teaching homeroom or teaching art specifically this year i myself started making more art because i was embedded in a little community who you know for half an hour a day or a couple hours a week our job was to make art um and i would do like a little lesson here's how you do this type of art i'll show you how to do it and then I would sit down and I would do art with the kids. Um, because if you just stand there and stare at the kids, they're kind of like, they, they want to see you make art too, right? They want to see you yeah, do stuff. They want to yeah. share it. They want to show you their art and they want to see your art and they want to see everyone else's art. And they love sharing it with each other. Um, so like I, I definitely started drawing experimenting doing a lot more once i started teaching because it is like a circulatory process yeah it is collaborative like there has to be motion involved in that like motion and connection the action like art is a physical thing you have to move physically move your body (laughs) yeah to make it and you have to be in contact with other people you know it doesn't art doesn't come from nowhere you have to get supplies right you have to get ideas from somewhere you have to have something to express but like the um it's not like a uh maybe to sharpen my point from before like even if you're making art on your own it can't be a narcissistic process it can't just like express something that uh is just solely about you in your own head yeah you know um or just working out a technique or something it has to express something about something true about the world and your relationships with other people in a way that other people see it, connect with it, recognize it as being true. And that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it art. Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to like this summer, like I've already been talking to a few art teacher friends about just getting together and, you know, doing some sun prints or just making art and just hanging out um, and reconnecting that way. Yeah. It sounds... And I th- I love that uh, this Richard Thompson book has like uh, spurred on and uh, and deepened our like understanding of what of what or like reconfirmed it because like that's sort of yeah. what he, I think getting the sense that that's what his philosophy about art is as yeah. well. Um, yeah, I'm almost I'm almost finished it. So we've we've both kind of ripped through such a fun read. It was just very easy. He ha- oh he's got dreams he oh yeah i haven't he read must the be, dream log he must yet. keep a dream log because he has some dreams written out that he's had and they're at the end in an in an appendix and as you're reading along in the book there'll be like a little asterisk for a different for a various story or an encounter or he'll mention having a dream in passing and then he's written out the whole thing yeah at the end which i think is a pretty neat thing to have in a book because i haven't read a, uh, a biography that includes a dream log yeah yeah, it's super it's super interesting. Um and uh yeah, I've really really enjoyed this read. I've got I don't know, I've got more books on the stack. I've got books about mushrooms, um couple more novels. I kind of veer towards I like to read a lot of like nature writing and catch up on novels during the summer and uh yeah, I mean it's hard to say how it'll be. I know when the baby comes, it'll be pretty busy for the first while. Um, but I don't know. Every every person you talk to is different. Some people are like, oh, I didn't, I haven't done anything for myself for years after having the kids. And then some friends have been like, I had so much time to do stuff on my mat leave. So I think you just don't know what to expect. And it all depends on the sort of baby you get and the way that you react to it. And um, 
just sort of how how you settle into routines and stuff like that too so just trying to get some yeah get some reading get some crafting get some art in uh before before the baby's born and then um see see what happens after see what happens after honestly i don't think it will be so much of a disruption said he said bravely (laughs) (laughs) of course it will be be a disruption but yeah you well, know, like please refer to our first podcast uh like nine months after the birth of the child <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you an update <laughs> but uh we're over an hour i don't know how much it'll end up being after after editing yeah but it's probably can, a lot to edit out we there, can call but... it quits uh very quickly just for the records we did uh come back from yurting in mm-hmm. spruce woods for a couple days yurts are good they're relatively affordable uh if anything's relatively affordable these days yeah and if you have kids they're great yeah um if you're they're very good pregnant experience. they're great <laughs> and they're good places to hide out from the uh like the mosquito apocalypse that yes. is happening the oh man one of the signs from revelation they <laughs> open the scrolls and the plague of mosquitoes flew out <laughs> uh thank you uh yeah thank you manitoba <laughs> cursed by god uh, blessed by water, but there's always another side to that. Blessings and curses. Yeah. Uh, but yurts and are good. They so. are good. Yeah, we have and another Spruce one. And Woods is a great one. Yeah, we have another one um, after next week. And then after that, we kind of got to stick pretty close to uh, staying in proximity to the hospital. We will. I uh, For... Uh, yeah, the Devil's Punchbowl walk at Spruce mm-hmm. Woods is, if you're an ambulatory person, is uh, quite good and heavily uh, recommended. Yeah. Um, even with the mosquitoes, you can buy yourself a few minutes of mosquito-free time if you're willing to inhale just like clouds of deet. <laughs> so and just have your mosquito spray on hand. Yeah. But uh, I I did that one by myself and was extremely uh, rewarded uh, by it. It's you got. A decent amount of elevation for Manitoba, some great views, open prairies with wildflowers, forest yeah. canopies, and a spring I'm a fed, sad. I a spring-fed uh, stream. Yeah. You have the sand dunes from the spirit sands Yeah, uh, right there. You can spend the whole day just wandering around. Yeah. And I was not in any condition great. to climb sand dunes. I did so. get some rain, a rain shower, a short rain shower mm-hmm. that I thought would pass by me. Luckily passed just over me and uh being rained on in like you know plus 30 degree heat with clouds of mosquitoes was uh talking about a blessing was <laughs> an incredible uh blessing um and extremely refreshing and there was a rainbow after mm-hmm. and i was the only one i saw on the trail so i uh, felt like that was this specifically for me yeah if there's such a thing as uh as a benevolent uh nature sentience <laughs> whatever you want to call it yeah uh, i it's a nice thing read a book in the hammock during this time it's also which was nice also very nice but i did i did uh feel like i missed out on the devil's punch bowl but there'll be another time you can see the devil's punch bowl again once the child becomes oh yeah starts walking then. well you uh, before then you can just strap them on strap them on yeah you can do that you can mm. shove your baby in, the, in your backpack and mm-hmm and get going we have another yurt booked not next week but the week, week after. after yeah so uh, we'll probably report back on that mm-hmm. uh for the next uh the next podcast uh the pre the last probably the last podcast mm-hmm. before the child arrives mm-hmm. hopefully there's more after that <laughs> we'll see we'll see yeah uh i expect that there will be <laughs> but okay let's let's wrap it up there i can't think of anything else i think we're gonna go see the elvis movie today because it's very hot today yeah it's been a relatively cool spring and summer so far but this is a hot day and so we're gonna get into some uh some air conditioning and uh hope we hope there's nobody else in the uh theater so that we don't uh, catch covid like a month before giving birth (laughs) (laughs) we'll check out the theater and see uh see how booked it is but all right all right we will catch you later have a good rest of your july we'll see you in august may you all be well Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, um, amazingly enough, um, we reached about the year 2000. I think it's time to lay down our weary tune. This is a song uh, by uh, what might be considered a rather crass um, 
pop artist. Just my kind of person. Um, it's, it's a kind of, um, yeah, it's sort of a classic pop song. Um, and if we uh, just uh, take it uh, out of the original hands and, and give it a slightly different interpretation, um, perhaps we can reveal its um, splendor. If it has any. Also, strangely enough, its, it's chord sequence is, is um, reminiscent of, uh, of other centuries. And, and just for a bit of fun, uh, towards the end, we're going to play it in the style of, of the 16th century, just to show that um, everything comes around again. <laughs> think I did it again I made you believe We're more than just friends It might seem like a crush But that doesn't mean That I'm serious But to lose all my senses That's just so typically me Stand the game Ooh, baby, baby Oops, you think I'm in love I'm sent from above I'm not that innocent You see, my problem is this I'm dreaming away Wishing that heroes truly exist in the days to see I'm a fool in so many ways but to lose all my senses that's just so typically me ooh baby baby oops I did it again I play with your heart too got lost in the game ooh baby baby oops you think I'm in love I'm sent from above